filled faces looking at me. Very encouraging. I don't know whether Simon thinks he's sort of going off to another part of the country where we won't uh, know much about him, but um, that won't be happening, of course. I know Imtiaz almost as well as he does, so um, I'll be asking, I'll, I'll ring him every now and then. How's Simon going on? I'll find out. And then, of course, we'd be praying, perhaps more specifically for Regal East International than we've ever done before, which will be stimulating for us, won't it? Very stimulating. So we're, we're in for a, a challenging new year. And just this thought about where we live. I understand totally how Simon feels, but he's got at least as much faith, if not more than I have, that the Lord is going to provide for him. When Jenny and I married in 1985, uh, we didn't quite know where we'd be living. But something came up at the sort of 11th hour, as it does in these situations. We were just moving down to Roffey. And um, we lived for a matter of three or four months in, in a sort of attic place, very near the, um, <laughs> the, the roof of the college, where all sorts of weird noises went on because um, <laughs> all the plumbing was up there in the roof. And um, we could barely swing a cat in the place. But uh, the Lord knew we needed something slightly different, and we moved after a while into a semi-detached house, which was lovely in Horsham. And then within that 11 years, which included a time of moving up to Norwich, we were in Norwich for six years, and with Kingdom Faith for about five years, uh, we moved 11 times. And um, of course we were renting, we weren't, didn't own properties. But the way the Lord provided for us on each occasion was uh, quite remarkable. Because he goes before us, doesn't he? Um, and then when we went, of course, to the church which I retired from um, 18 months ago, we'd lived in that same house for 24 years. That was, I can't tell you what a treat that was, to live in one house for all that period of time. But the reality of it, friends, is this, isn't it? as long as we're on this side of, of glory we're not actually home home's going to be with God with Jesus at his right hand side in the heavenly realm I just thought of this verse as we were sharing and praying this morning Paul says we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body that's here in the now we're away from the Lord. Now, in a sense, we're not away from him because he's here now, he's amongst us. But there's that sense, Paul says, in another place, doesn't he? We see through a glass darkly, uh, but then there'll come a time when we will see him face to face. And that's what he's saying in, 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 in using a slightly different form of words here. As long as we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. He's the punch one. We live by faith and not by sight. And that's the glorious challenge to each one of us. And we are coming into a year, we don't know how it'll work out with Simon moving on, probably in the summer when he'll actually move from here. 
But there's a, there's a challenge in that for each one of us. And it challenges us to move on. It challenges me to move on. Goodness gracious, I need to. If you want to pray for me, I still haven't got used to being retired. <laughs> yeah, do you ever? Thanks, D, I need that. You know, in the sense that I've always been used to being under some demand, some expectancy, some pressure. Which you are in any form of life, if you're going to, somebody's going to pay you some money, you know. Um, but now, I'm not. But the spiritual challenge is still the same. It doesn't go away. You know, I won't be home until I depart this life. This isn't home. It's just a thought, isn't it? And that's the direction in which we're all headed. And I think, it's that that keeps me awake. It's that that stops me from lying in bed every morning. That gets me up and gets me into the scriptures and gets me to open my heart in prayer. How we need it. We live by faith. Not by sight. <laughs> so Luke, Luke, I'm into Luke, aren't I? Seventeen. Interesting little passage because it just comes in the middle of teaching sections which Luke records. And the one is which I preached on several weeks ago before the Christmas season when we were looking at um, the passage which really Jesus challenges the disciples. He's just teaching those disciples. The Pharisees aren't there at that point in time. And he's telling them that really when they've done their utmost, and perhaps they're, they're living on the fringe of exhaustion, still, he says, you're still unworthy servants. You're only doing your duty. Well, Jesus is preparing them, you see, to receive the Holy Spirit. And he's teaching them, isn't he? In ways they don't fully yet understand. The disciples are still competitive, aren't they? We've read these passages in the Gospels where they have these arguments about who's going to be the greatest and this, that and the other. They've not understood what life in the Spirit is all about at this stage. And Jesus is preparing them. And he says... What I want to do is just read, so we've got it in context, a couple of verses from that passage leading into the healing of the ten lepers and a couple of verses after it. So it just puts it into context. So I'll start at 17, verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field... Come along now and sit down to eat. Would you not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you can eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Not easy stuff for the disciples, is it? Not easy for me or you. 
And then look, breaks into this little cameo on the road to Jerusalem about the instance with the ten leopards. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Once, Having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. So I was saying that Jesus had just laid this ground with the disciples that um, actually no matter how they're called to work with him or in the kingdom, not that the disciples were fully understanding the kingdom at that point in time, but he was saying when you've done what you can and you, you, you've worked to the point of exhaustion it's still no credit to you. <laughs> You're still unworthy. Uh, and it was stuff the disciples never heard before they, you know when they worked hard when they did more than the rest they thought they were better than the rest and they had discussions about who was going to be sitting next to Jesus when he was up in glory and um, it was all a little bit uh, tense at times between them but these lepers didn't have to be told they were unworthy my word they knew it Talk about social distancing these days. They were in spatial distancing big time. Nobody would go remotely near them, would they? And they see Jesus going towards Jerusalem. And the ten of them come to him. And they stand at a distance. I wonder how much that distance was. And call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Good prayer to pray. Good request to make. What a remarkable response that Jesus does make. When he saw them, he says, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, we don't know. It says this man who was came back, was a Samaritan. We don't know from the biblical account were the rest Israelites or 
was this guy the only Samaritan? Or were there a number of them? We don't know the mixture uh, of this group in terms of their nationality. Um, so we don't fully know if they understood what Jesus was saying. But if, if, if you go back to the, look at the law and you look at Leviticus chapter 14, you realise that if, if, if a leper believes that he's been clean, he's got to go to the priests. And the priests have to verify that cleansing. And there's quite a rigmarole, there's quite a ritual that the, the person who has been suffering with leprosy and who says he's now clean has to go through to be confirmed in his cleansing. Um, two birds are used, just to sum up what it says in Leviticus 14, if you're interested to read it at some point. Two birds are used and brought to the place of sacrifice and one of them is killed and its blood smeared upon the individual seven times and then the other one is released which is like a powerful symbolic way of saying that the disease is taken away from him, away from the camp and out into the wilderness. And then the, the individual has to bathe. He has to shave all of his hair, not just his head. He has to shave all his hair off his body and dip himself, immerse himself in a complete bath to wash off any possibility that any hint of, of uncleanness may be left upon him. And then he has to Quarantine for a week. I see how quarantines are coming down. There's some news this morning that from seven, it was ten days, now it's seven, now it's got to be five. <laughs> if you be pronounced clean of COVID infections. We weren't the first ones to think of quarantine. It was written into the law if a person was to be pronounced clean. From the modern version, I know it's called, calls it sort of infectious diseases. The good old King James called it leprosy. And of course it was, it was a dreadful disease. You can't imagine the horrible ostracism and, and separation that these lepers must have felt at that point in historical time. Um, they were distanced and separated. They lived in colonies, didn't they? In horrific separation from anything that was going on in normal society. And there was no healing that people knew of that was in any way effective. Uh, but then, having gone through the period of quarantine, he would have to, or he brought sacrifices. He had to bring a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering, before he was set free to actually be amongst the people again and mix with them in an ordinary way. So, just the extent to which those, that group of lepers, realised that, we don't know, because they may not have been, they may have been Samaritans, and Samaritans really haven't got a clue about the law of Israel, any more than the man who came back had a clue. But the remarkable next statement, Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Which actually means, if you know the law, and if one or two of those were Israelites who knew the law, it means that you are clean. Don't know whether all of them understood that. 
but they still went. They obeyed what he said. And as they went, they were cleansed. Staggering. It's just worth noticing that Jesus didn't pray for them. Not in the sense of ministering anything to them. He gave them a command which they had a choice to obey. Just as Novak Djokovic would have had a choice to obey. And it hasn't taken that choice. As Rafa Nadal pointed out a few days ago, I like tennis, so I follow the news. <laughs> um, and they, they had that choice. They obeyed. And as they went, they were cleansed. The power that... I must say, it's it got to me at times. Can I, can I give you a confession? Being a pastor, and you read this stuff, and it, it almost sets you back in the power of it. And at times you feel as if, where is the power of God? And it can be frustrating. But hang on, we're not there yet. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He lost his self-control. <laughs> he came back praising I'd love to have heard this loud voice being said. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. So, some did this, didn't they, through the stories of the Gospels. They lost their self-control and, and came to Jesus. Think about Mary Magdalene who came and, and, and wept at his feet and, 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 and then dried his feet with her hair. She lost any sense of self-control and what other people thought. Didn't she? When did you last lose self-control in the power of the Spirit of God? Or do we just come and do what everybody else does? Just a, just a thought. But this man lost his self-control. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And then these five telling words and he was a Samaritan. The Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. The Jews can't stand the Samaritans. From the exile of northern Israel back in the 8th century, BC, Samaria was resettled by a whole load of people, probably from Assyria or wherever else, who worshipped a whole load of gods and who didn't know where on earth they stood, spiritually speaking. And they were just anathema to the Jews. And Luke points out, on one or two occasions, about Samaritans. It was Luke, wasn't he, told the story of the good Samaritan. And he, this leper, was a Samaritan. If you wanted to get on the Jews' nerves, tell them a story about good Samaritans. And here's another one, who was good. Jesus asked, were not all the ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He sort of points, points out the, the difference, doesn't he? he? He puts his finger on the tension. He's spoken Samaritan. They've got nothing to do with us. We, we profoundly dislike them. They're foreigners. 
was no one found to return and give praise, except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The key word in this passage is the last one. Well. I don't know whether you've ever done a little bit of research on this verse, or on this word, but it's, it's the well-known Greek word, sozo, which means saved. It means protected, it means delivered, it means set free, it means coming into a place of victory. The whole area of salvation that we believe is ours as we commit our lives to Jesus so the leper received the full package here. And that's the word. He's been made well. The older verse, he says he's been made whole. And the number of references to that throughout the Gospels where he says this person has been made whole or that person has been made whole. It means he's been saved. It means they've received before the atonement, before the cross, before Pentecost, but nevertheless, as far as was possible in those days, they'd received salvation. The, the Hebrew word for it is yasha, Y-A-S-H-A. And it's used, oh, a hundred or so times in the Old Testament, in the law, in the prophets, in the, you know, the Psalms. And it means the full aspect of salvation. Your faith has made you well. Now, does it mean that the others then were not? <laughs> were not saved? Yeah, it does. It does. There's three things that struck me as I read through this passage. <laughs> three points. Um, the first is, it's possible to receive grace miss out on mercy. Wesley used to talk, John Wesley used to talk about what he called prevenient grace, which is the grace in a person's life before they actually come to surrender their lives to Jesus. But grace in a person's life, which is leading them to that place of salvation. I mean, I, I can relate to that fully, totally. I came to the Lord, in a sense been brought up in an evangelical church, didn't disbelieve the gospel, went out in, in, in some sort of a mission at the age of 15. But it didn't grip me. I wanted to be out with the lads, you know, I didn't want to be part of the Christian union. I mean, so I was 20 years before I really came through and really submitted my life at 35. But my word, during that 20 years, it wasn't about 20 years, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> but there were periods when the Lord did things for which I thanked him. Periods of grace leading me to that point when I'm really at my wit's end, as a 35-year-old man, and I say, Lord, I have made a mess of this. Please forgive me, heal me, and lead me on in the power of your spirit. That's basically the place I came to. But I needed that 20 years and plenty of prevenient grace to bring me on to submit. 
It's one thing to recognise in your mind that Jesus is who he said. In other words, he's the saviour of the world, which I, I didn't dispute. But quite another thing to surrender one's life to him. Quite another. And that took me 20 years. But praise God, I got there. And it wasn't about 20 years. I, mean, I enjoyed quite a lot of it. That's the grace of God. But it's possible to receive grace and miss mercy. So until you come to surrender, and you know the mercy of God for coming down and getting within you, you're not actually yielded. And neither was I. And that's what happened to these lepers. Nine of them, they received grace. Come on, they were healed of leprosy. That's grace. That's power. That's miracle. But they didn't acknowledge what God had done. They just must have gone through the ritual, got back into society. Who knows? We only read this passage here. Perhaps the one who did came back, come back, you know, and really received the full, the full Monty, you know, got back and persuaded them that they needed Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps that was the case. Why not believe that? That the others just didn't go to live their own lives and go to hell, you know. Why think the worst? Think the best. But at this point in time, according to Luke's account, they missed what God was seeking to give. So we've got that point. It's possible to receive grace, but miss out on mercy. Second point, when we receive mercy, we speak about it. We have to speak about it. Because it gets inside you. And anything that's inside you, we have to speak out. I don't mean you tell everybody willy-nilly, but I do mean that it, it is something we speak out on a pretty frequent basis. Just, he, he couldn't have stopped and said nothing. The Lord had given him mercy as well as grace, and he came back, he lost his self-composure and just worshipped at Jesus' feet. Because he had to. And his mouth was involved in that. Jesus said, didn't he? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if something goes on in there, it's got to come out here. It's got to. You know, these people, oh, I keep my faith quiet. That's not the spirit of Jesus. It just ain't. What is in the heart, the mouth speaks. Which is what the one of them did. And the final point. When you've received mercy, you have to speak about it. And that mercy. Once we speak, it's as if the very speaking brings God to a place of acting. God responds to that. As Jesus responded to this man, uh, as he spoke out, as he worshipped, as he surrendered to Jesus, he said, rise and go, your faith has made you whole. You've got the whole thing. You've spoken it out. Just let me refer that to what Paul teaches us in Romans 10. 
Oh, thank you for the... Oh, Christy, I think you did these, didn't you? A little, a little um, bookmarker which, which gives us the verse that we've been... Simon gave us last week. Just to bear in mind for the year. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Anyway, give them a place in Romans 10. So just think about us speaking out, the use of the mouth. In speaking out what God does in our hearts. And this is exactly what Paul brings out here. If I read from Romans 10 verse 8. He says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. That is, if you confess with your mouth, you see how the mouth is engaged here, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be sozo, you will be saved. (laughs) For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. See, heart and mouth, that's the old law, heart and mouth speaks. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Sozo, the same word. Same word that was used for the salvation of the leper. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, or Jew and Samaritan, if you like. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be sozoed, will be saved, will be made whole, will be made well. Just as this man was. It's possible to receive grace and miss mercy. When we receive mercy, we must speak about it. And when we speak about it, God acts. God does stuff when we bring things out of our heart. Just as God, Jesus spoke salvation to this man uh, in this place. We looked just a little bit when I last spoke, didn't we? At the faith of the centurion which is in, back in Luke 7, don't bother to look at it particularly. Um, but the centurion says, as, as, as Jesus ministers um, to him, he said, this is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and I shall be healed. Say the word, and I shall be made well. And a number of times that's happened. Peter says a similar thing to Aeneas when Jesus has risen, and gone to his father in the Acts when he's healing Aeneas, a man called Aeneas who's been bedridden for eight years. He simply says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. That's all he said. And the man man was healed. Simply spoke it out. The the word of faith. I mean, we use a lot of words, don't we, friends? Jesus didn't use many words when he came to pray. Jesus spent time with his father, absorbing father, absorbing that relationship, that unbroken relationship that he had with his father. If he was busy in the day, he'd spend time in the night doing it. So that when he came to minister to people, he didn't pray for them, he just spoke into their lives. 
as he spoke into the life of this one leper. Rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. And then there goes a couple of verses as Jesus goes on to teach about the kingdom of God being within us. So as far as he could, as far as we can understand, this leper received the kingdom. As I say, that was before the atonement of Jesus, before the cross, it was before Pentecost. But Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And this man, because he received his salvation, received the kingdom. And it was within him. Have we received, all of us have received grace. I'm sure we've received mercy. Have we spoken it out? Have we known the healing power of God just active in our hearts and lives? Do we know it? These are the questions, aren't they? It's possible for Jesus to heal us physically, but not to do anything spiritually. He wants to do something spiritually in all of us as we move into a new year of challenge. He wants to do something in me. I need to bring my life in fresh surrender to the Lord and learn what it means to be his disciple when I'm not under any pressure to do it. <laughs> I've had a reasonable year, but it could have been better. A bit too much TV or a few too many late mornings. Well, come on, preacher. Get it together. Yeah, it's discipline, isn't it? So if you want to pray for me, pray, pray at that level. <laughs> Father, we thank you, Lord God.